listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Jo, and we're going to be talking about adopting when some of your family lives abroad. Hi Jo, how are you? Very well, thanks. Really, really uh, pleased to catch up with you. Yeah, I'm so pleased to have you. It's possible we'll be interrupted because today there are five fire engines in my street. So the chance of us recording this successfully seems slim, but we'll give it a bash. <laughs> Love it. Between your fire engines and my dogs barking at the Amazon <laughs> deliveries, hopefully we'll get something down. Yeah, endless deliveries. That has been the theme of lockdown, I think. How's your lockdown been? It's been okay. At the beginning, I was very motivated. I was doing 30 days yoga with Adrian on YouTube and uh, yeah, walking the dogs in the countryside. And then by lockdown two and lockdown three, I was eating my COVID feelings. So so I'm desperately... now that lockdown is coming to an end, uh, I'm I'm desperately having those conversations that I need to uh, I need to stop eating and exercise more and get myself for <laughs> <laughs> life again. Yeah, I was like, right, I'm going to lose some weight, and my friends like, oh, do low carbs, it's really easy. So I did that and lost two stone. And I was like, oh my god, I'm so slim and gorgeous. But it turns out I really, really like carbs, apparently. So now that's all I'm eating, and it turns out that now I'm gaining weight again, unbelievably. So <laughs> yeah. I know it's tough isn't it I know there will have been a one month period in the middle of lockdown when I looked fabulous and nobody was there to see it (laughs) (laughs) love it anyway so can you tell me a bit about where you are in your adoption journey and how that's been for you yeah so we're probably about 18 months into it from the first phone call to our adoption agency and we are approved adopters so we had our panel and uh yeah that went really well and so we are currently uh, in that matching phase of looking for children to make make our family complete gosh that's an exciting but difficult time i think how are you finding it it's been really difficult actually i mean process wise it's been excellent our social worker is amazing and and i don't think i'd be as sort of together if it wasn't for them but it's it's just a difficult process you know I we we started out and I suppose like like anybody you then decide look what's the right route for us what's the right option how do we start a family that's right for us and I think early doors I'd really considered surrogacy as our primary I hadn't really thought of adoption Mm. um and it was my husband who was really pro adoption at the beginning and sort of convinced me like there's so many children out there we can we can provide an amazing life and an amazing home for these children you know and he hadn't considered any other way of doing it really than that and and once I got bought into that concept I was like yes that's why I love you yes you are amazing um that is right and I worried that without having a biological connection would I be as connected 
to the children. I think that was my biggest concern. And I'm sure we'll talk about it later in, in our chat. But that that has all been answered. And, you know, the children that I haven't even met yet, I'm already emotionally invested and connected to. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a full on journey, isn't it? And I think as much as people can tell you and social workers can tell you and people can be really prescriptive and clear about this, until you're in it, you don't really appreciate just how much of an emotional, psychological, you know, journey this that it is. And it's a white knuckle ride. It's it's not for the faint hearted, is it? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it it's a slog. It's it's long. There's no absolute clear end date a lot of the time. You know, it's not like we'll meet you on the fifth of July and then the fifth of August and then the fifth of September and then after that. And there's just it's a bit vaguer than that and oh I don't know just the whole thing didn't seem tightly run in that same way and I sort of understand why but yeah it just means that you're constantly thinking well this time next year I guess we could have a child but we might not I don't really know and then at the stage that you're at it starts to be this time next month we might have a child so you can't plan anything you can't sort of think oh in four weeks we'll do something because you may or may not suddenly have a child it's really difficult that is totally it and uh you know f- from from my perspective i'm a bit of a control freak in in, <laughs> in in my in my home life and certainly in my work you know part, a lot of my work is is around de-risking and and planning and business improvement so even when there isn't an answer there is a sort of program or a timeline or some clarity around decision points and i can deal with that Whereas this, you really need to sort of shift into to another gear. My my husband's worse in that he's a, he's a medical doctor, so unless you're talking to him about facts and data, he doesn't really entertain woolly conversations anyway. He really struggles. You know, I, I, part of the journey for us is you know him playing the game of look, we're going to have to engage, and we're going to have to have these conversations, and some of it's going to be really woolly, and you just sort of you know. Uh, you know, pushing the process along. Uh, whereas he's like, "Well, has anything changed since we last spoke? Have you got any new information?" Um, so you know, and, and unless that's the case, it's it's really difficult for him to process. So, so it is. It's getting comfortable with that uncomfortable of the fact that as much as on the surface it looks well planned out, and it is, but from an emotional perspective and a psychological perspective, you're you're essentially bringing two sets of humans together and that's that's going to be a a messy process isn't it yeah I agree and you just saying that about your husband wanting the facts I remember being given pieces of information by social workers and so on and I would be itching to say hang on is this a researched fact is this scientifically based essentially Mm. or is this an opinion and if it is an opinion what is it based on because we were given sometimes completely contradictory pieces of information. So one example was that one person said the best way of doing introductions is that on the final day, the foster carers bring the child to your house and leave them there because that gives the child permission to be at your house. That was one. Mm. And the other person said the best thing to do in introductions is that you go and pick the child up from the foster carers because otherwise that child will feel they've been driven and abandoned at your house. Now, they're two directly contradictory Mm. things. 
presented as fact and it was driving me mad because had it been presented as opinion we could have made a judgment call but it wasn't and yet they can't both be facts right so it just drove me crackers absolutely crackers totally and and i'm glad that i'm through what i called the dark phase <laughs> of the, the really dark phase for me was when you were looking at the background factors of children and i went to you know, a place where I could, I only started seeing the children as cases, cases of neglect, cases of abuse, cases of abandonment, whatever their background factors were. Yes. And not even at, at, at a point where we were on the system and could look at children. I'm just talking in generic terms about, um, you know, during the training, understanding the background factors. And what really helped there was we met other couples who had adopted children and as soon as I snapped out of the fact that for goodness sake we're talking about children uh, and you know stopped this process of cases you know and and what their background factors are because you got into this real well I certainly got into this really weird place of like is is neglect better than abuse is smoking better than alcohol is alcohol worse than recreational drugs is you know and you're starting to you know and it was just as you said you know presenting things as facts and dealing at the facts I was looking for some direct line correlations in that I was like right okay this is how we rank it this is how we profile it this is how we look at it this is how I assess the long-term impacts and because none of that was there it led you to this place of oh right okay so there is another whole level of you know sort of being comfortable with uncomfortable that there isn't actually right answers what you're looking for uh, uh you know doesn't exist and you're gonna have to um you, you you're gonna have to be comfortable with that and make assessments and decisions in a different way yeah i agree with that completely i think looking it can be quite dehumanizing can't it the the profiles that you read and things and even where they've tried to sort of inject more about the child and their personality and so on you're right you can almost see the headlines and I ended up in this place where I was thinking these children are unparentable you know what they're writing to me is about children who cannot be reached can't be can't be supported can't receive love can't give love and it ended up I was just thinking, what are we doing? And similarly to you, um, we went to the New Family Social Summer Camp and we'd got two birth children then, but no adopted children. So we went along and suddenly there were children. They were three-dimensional and funny and charming and challenging and, you know, energetic and sweet and all of those things. And suddenly I was seeing these three-dimensional children where, yeah, absolutely, that was part of their experience and part of what shaped them but not the entirety of it. And it seems so obvious now, but it I did feel absolutely overwhelmed really with that information, that negative information and how to process that and still want to go ahead was quite difficult. I love the way you phrase that, you know, making them three-dimensional. That's exactly it. I had to snap out of the the two-dimensional on the page backstories and and, you know, get into that space. I think that's a really good way of putting it actually. And so you're at the family finding stage at the moment. And are you still looking at profiles or are there any particular children in mind? Well, we've committed in theory 
to a particular child. Okay. But the, it's a really complex legal process. And I said to the other half, I was like, of course it is. You know, why why, why wouldn't it be at this stage? <laughs> One of the messiest processes I think our social worker has has ever seen. And, and obviously keeping it high level and away from, from the detail. But essentially, uh, mom uh, relinquished baby, but only half engaged with the process. And so because there was... A requirement for the courts to take over and or to intervene or to advocate on behalf of the child that has really elongated and added even more layers of you know this uncertainty and you know the there isn't a clear program or a timetable and that that is massively challenging for us there's pros and cons to it the problem is the pros come later if that child becomes our child. Although, and that's what I was saying earlier, actually, about uh, worrying that I was going to connect with adopted children because I already feel that child is my child and I might not even meet that child. <laughs> um, you know, that, that it may it may all go wrong um, and, and the, the, there's a couple of different routes that it could take. But you do genuinely really make that connection. And so for me, we're in it. We're in it to the end. Uh, we're going to follow it right through no matter how long it takes. And that's a decision that the other half and I have made to not be distracted. I just can't psychologically be half in or half out whilst this process is going. So we've committed to the process around this particular child and we're going to see it through to the end, whichever way it goes. But of course, you've got to then live at the same time you know you've got to function and hold down a job and do all that so I'm, I'm launching a business at the, at the same time as holding down a day job and obviously the other half is super busy as well so it's it's keeping a lid on your emotions when you get hit with these sort of curveballs around you know things not being as straightforward on paper as 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 they could be and how you how you sort of self-care and manage yourself through those processes yeah I agree with that and I mean you know when we talk externally we call it resilience but actually I think it's almost stubbornness really you have to be solidly determined that we are seeing this through to the end and yeah even when it's hard even when you're tired even when you're fed up and this stubborn streak has to sort of kick in and say we will plow on with this you know it is difficult it is and and the 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 pros come later because we keep every email every text every whatsapp every whatever you know and so from baby's perspective it will be such a nice part of that journey to demonstrate for x number of your first months on earth people were fighting for you determined to make sure that not only were you okay but that we're doing everything physically possible to get you that's how wanted and loved you were from the very moment so you know that will be a healing part of that identity journey later it doesn't fix things but it certainly is a positive part of that healing journey later that that's what I've put out in the universe anyway that's how I am manifesting how that's going to play out is that that actually this although is painful now is something that we'll be able to convert into a significant positive later 
Yes, I can absolutely understand that. It's funny because we're at a different a different side of that coin, I guess, that you you know, you're currently forming a paper trail which is about you know, about trying to get that child and fighting for that child. And um we're currently at a post adoption support stage. And one of the things you have to do is write endless um evaluations of your own child. But in order to access what you need, you have to write down the worst of it, you know? Mm. You can't just kind of say, Oh, some bits are great and some bits are tricky. You have to write this kind of horror story down to justify the intervention that you need and so it's weird because I'm currently creating this paper trail that I sort of cringe at the thought of it being read and of course it's all done from a position of love and support Mm. and wanting the right support and so on but I hate writing this stuff down because I just think to myself later when this is read this actually makes things sound way more dire than than they are but it's because I have to write the list of bad stuff so it's a funny thing isn't it these children whose lives are documented in the minute detail in a way that for my two older kids you know their life isn't documented in that way we don't have all of that stuff whereas for my youngest there's endless discussion about how he's doing and why he's doing it like that and it's it's hard that is really interesting (laughs) Uh, you know, we, we're not there, so I hadn't considered that. But absolutely, the the theme of how documented they are and how documented we are. It was funny. I was saying to my mom, you know, as we were going through this process about everything, as you know, weeks and weeks of assessments and our relationship styles and our personality types and our financial background and, you know, all of these things. And she was said, listen, if your father and I had to go through the half of this, none of you would be here. So, you know, the punchline is, you know, will you be able to provide a loving, secure home for your children? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, everything else is just you know, process and you'll get through it. But but you're right because the 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 risk to that over documentation is exactly that. All of that other stuff that just in life gets lost in that moment of time. It doesn't become a memory. Whereas for our adopted children, there will be this process of yeah, every moment, even the rubbish stuff. Yeah. Which actually wasn't that isn't a fair reflection of what it's really like but you know so they'll have all of that so I suppose this managing their identity and their backstory and that documentation in a really careful and curated way is going to be critical yes and and we we've given ourselves permission to get rid of a couple of bits and it's because they were sort of particularly I don't know explosive or hard to read or perhaps just word in a way that I can't imagine would ever be helpful. And mm-hmm. so although they aren't destroyed, we've de- we've chosen not to keep them here. We've given them back to the local authority and stuff. And it's hard because you are handed all this stuff like relics, you know, don't lose any of these many, many things. And some of it, some of it is stuff with sentimental value, but some of it isn't or wouldn't be. Again, if, oh, I don't know that I'm saying it very well, but you know, stuff that gradually over time would disappear. And you might be left with this was your favorite toy when you were two, not this is every toy that you had when you were two. And this is every finger painting that you ever did and and stuff like that. It's it's a different sort of standard of documenting, but maybe it'll become normal. I mean, I guess we're all documenting our lives, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all that in a different way. I'm just glad that my childhood is not documented in that way. I agree. Bits, all the bad hairdos. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Totally. I'm so glad I went through university on the generation just before the camera phone. Yeah. But I, but I totally hear what you're saying around giving yourself permission. I think that's another really helpful phrase. It because you are curating this, and it's about actually, as the parent, it's my responsibility to get to the end result and the end result is how do I ensure my child is you know functioning at their best uh, is psychologically and emotionally functioning at their best and how do we do this in a way that's authentic and transparent of course but also that is going to minimize the unnecessary the, the unnecessary elements in it and there definitely will be as you say those unnecessary bits that 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 can be filtered yeah absolutely you know here's the program from a school play that my child sobbed his way through because he hates being in school plays and refused to go on the stage and blah 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 and I look at that program and I think maybe we'll just not keep this maybe this was just a crap day maybe we don't even have to remember that this was a crap day we just chuck it in the recycling and have a better day you know so yeah I love that. um and I know that one of the things uh, for your family was about your partner's family being abroad. And I just wondered if you can talk a little bit about that and say how that impacted the assessment and the process for you. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, um, thankfully, my partner's out to uh, his immediate family. But of course, there's a complexity of the wider family, A, from an LGBT plus lens and B, from an adopted lens and I suppose see a combination of being LGBT plus and adopting and that's somewhere where where we're where we're at at the moment is managing that in a delicate and culturally appropriate way and I think for us that will become more real obviously when we've got something to talk about and that we actually have some decisions made and we have our our children and, and all of that sort of stuff but it, it it's definitely a lens through which they're i mean being lgbt plus and coming from uh you know a muslim background uh, you know it is a complex journey within itself and has to be handled in a way that is as i say culturally appropriate and and there's a difference between what is it you want to achieve from that process of coming out is it i want you to know so you can share in my life is it i want you to know because i want you to be accepting of it i want you to know because you know of some other thing that's my motivation and actually it's picking a lane and picking a level that's appropriate for what it is that you're trying to achieve. And ultimately my position on it is I'm lucky and very privileged that my background, my extended family is, uh, you know, I'm out and, and they're accepting of it and all, all of that sort of stuff. But, but it's what's going to be right for us as a family and what's going to make that journey as easy as possible and how do we shelter children from any potential negative um, reactions and and what do we do and how does it work and what you know what relationships do we have with those extended families so there's just so many layers to how we step through this if it wasn't a complicated process uh, to begin with it's just that extra layer that you have to be very mindful of how you navigate and was your during your assessment 
was it okay that your partner was out to immediate family but not extended family was that acceptable or were you pushed for your partners to come out further uh no so i mean it's about it was all about the relationship so there there is no real relationship with the extended family so it was it was it was really all the assessment was based on um what that, what those relationships were like that he has on a day-to-day basis and was he out to everybody who was going to be an active participant in the in the child's life and so that there was a big bit of our assessment, making sure that that obviously we were there and in that space, and the, and the, all that that was covered. I suppose the extended, the extended, extended family conversations are are something that, you know, are really determined on on what the frequency of the relationship between him and them are. Yes, we have a similar thing. Uh, so my partner's family are from India, and um, she so her dad died some years ago, but even with her dad, but also with her mum who's still around. She is out. I mean, her mum knows exactly what we are to each other. And, you know, she calls our children, my babies, my babies. But I've never heard her use the word gay or lesbian. I've never heard her kind of refer to us as a married couple or any of those things. So although she'll come and visit and treats us like we're a family, culturally it doesn't look the same as it looks for example in my family where it is named and talked about more and so it is accepted but I think and we've seen a few families go through the same thing that a model of being out is assumed that being out looks like this and the family will talk about it and they will mark it in these ways and they will name it and things and actually culturally that's not always the way and so with my partner's dad He's, he once said to her something like, I know. And that was it. That was the entire reference to her sexual orientation. But he would visit her with um, her ex-partner and, you know, do jobs around the house and stuff. They were living together. Then when we got together, you know, I met him in the early days of our relationship several times. And again, he knew that I was a new partner, but it wasn't named as that. And I think there's a real danger of kind of requiring a culturally identical, if you like, response, which I don't think is appropriate, and acceptance can look like other stuff. I, I couldn't agree more, and that, and that, that's, I suppose, what I was trying to say is that yes, there's being out, and then there's there's that. What does that mean, and and how is that perceived, and what you know, how is it referenced, and exactly as you say, are we trying to force a view of what we mean by out? Uh, you know on 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 different you know different cultural uh, backgrounds and actually it's the punchline we need to be focused on isn't it as you said so if 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 they're not naming it but it is still positive relationships with good contact and quality contact and it doesn't have to be talked about as a defining piece or a or a or a or a primary part of the conversation then actually what is it we're measuring success on and I suppose it's it's um it's navigating that and the assessment process for us is about absolutely making sure that all of the right people and all of the important people you know are part of the journey or are are briefed are bought in and, and and that was important but I suppose what you're saying and and what is important and i think an area that we're we're all still sort of immature 
from a development perspective is how we then from uh you know from from different cultural backgrounds make that uh make that step make that link make that that you know that leap between what is it we're measuring success on what do we want it to look like and and what does it need to look like and and how how are we stepping through that yeah i agree with you absolutely and i think we have to be careful that the standard isn't perfection because yeah. you know as you mentioned earlier when we were talking um you know, if if we if every parent was assessed against perfection, nobody would be a parent. Right. And yet, sometimes I think um, with adoption, even if even if it's not actually how it is, you can feel as though you're being measured against a standard of perfection. And being out isn't perfect, but I think for people who've never come out, mm. so, you know, so for maybe heterosexual people or cisgender people who haven't done this every day. I think sometimes people want a coming out story that goes, when I was 16, I told everybody in my life and that was the end of my coming out story. But in fact, your coming out story goes, yeah, I went to the doctors and they made a wrong assumption, so I corrected them. And then I got a phone call from the insurance company and they asked me about my husband, so I corrected them. And then I set up this program at work and I had to go and speak to some people, so I outed myself there. And it's this constant process. Right. And the other thing that um, Jackie and I felt really about her family was that you know she's she's in contact with some of them on facebook loosely or at least you know following some of them on facebook and stuff mm. if she forces that issue and outs herself to her extended family in india actually all that does is it puts her mum in a difficult position because we've got nothing to gain we're not in direct touch with these people they're essentially strangers to us but not to her mum and so if we're like oh yeah you know we're out and proud and you know we're married and these are our kids albeit that we've kind of got the right to do it all it does is let her mum in her 80s field a ton of questions and there just doesn't seem to be a gain. So it's imperfect. We aren't necessarily fighting the good fight in that part of the family, but it seems probably like a fairly pragmatic, reasonable decision. And I worry that if we have this standard of perfection, perfect outness to everybody, then lots of us, I think, would fail that test. A hundred percent that you've described our journey as well in that, you know, what are we, what are we measuring as success? Success is that we haven't damaged relationships, that people aren't being disowned, that there isn't pressure on folks to justify, defend, um, put themselves in a position where they need to fight the good fight on our behalf. All of those. So, so winning looks like, you know, how you maintain um healthy relationships in a complex cultural bit and actually in the long term you are fighting the good fight because what that does is although it's not necessarily being used as the you know as as a as a sledgehammer um uh, which which is <laughs> always an, an appropriate approach people will know and and people will sort of understand and seeing it normalized and seeing it done in a you know in a considered and uh, you know appropriate way gives people time to get used to the concepts see them play out see that the world didn't fall in and the sky didn't fall in and you know, uh, all, you know all of these things that they potentially believe are, are are going to be results of our types of relationships or or whatever whatever it is seeing that done in a, in a passive way is actually from a longer term perspective probably one of the most effective ways we can we can manage it that's really interesting thank you so 
we've talked about, you know, where you are in your journey and how you arrived at that and also some of the specific issues around being out. And I just wondered, looking at your journey, and I know you're not through it yet, what advice you would give to people who were perhaps thinking about maybe starting their own adoption journey? Uh, Definitely being comfortable with being uncomfortable, not looking for linear binary relationships between causes and effects and decisions and sort of fastening your seatbelt for what is an amazing journey but but ultimately that you need to be as sort of psychologically flexible as possible to to appreciate that this is an imperfect process but at the end of it you you will achieve something amazing that's absolutely brilliant thank you so much I'd like to thank my guest today, Joe. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Mac Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.